So there. So there. So there. So there. Let me know your thoughts. So there. So there. So there. Let me know your thoughts. Why do you keep saying let us know your thoughts? Let me know your thoughts to me is a nice lead-in for So There. So There. Welcome to So There. In case you forgot, a podcast about marketing, inexplicable human behavior, and Whatever else comes to mind. I'm Tom Karamitis along with Gary Doyle. And Gary works, uh, Gary's employed. <laughs> Tom is too, but he's just not saying where. So I work for um, the government. Some, some call me the Reverend the Chicken La Holmes. <laughs> Other call, others call me Plato Fufus. <laughs> but yes, I am Gary Doyle of the Kramer Crassalt. This is known on Facebook. All right, so let's get started. I have a, a topic to talk about today that may prove challenging to Tom Karmitis and you, the listener, and that is uh, lazy songwriting lyrics. All right, so we all know bad songwriting lyrics. Uh, you know, we, we listen to those every day and think, gosh, that's really not very good. But there's a special subset of, of lyrics that are lazy, right? If they just put in a little more effort uh, into them that, uh, you know, you could have had something, but it's just kind of lazy. And I'd like to cite a few examples. And um, you know, for our younger listeners of So There, and I think there are many, there's probably three or four, uh, may not be familiar with all these songs, but, you know, that's that's why God invented iTunes and Spotify to go look them up. But uh, a few examples of lazy lyric writing. So there's a group called Chicago. And they have a song, one of their synth-driven power ballads, called uh, "You're the Inspiration." And there's a uh, there's a part of the song where uh, I don't know if I should sing this, sing the chorus. Uh, well, I'll just I'll just cite the lyrics. So the the, the chorus goes. You're the meaning of my life, and you bring meaning to my life. Are they, are they not the same? Could the could the writer not have tried to differentiate a little bit between those two? You're the meaning of my life. You bring meaning to my life. Lazy, am I right? Okay, um, number two. Uh, getting a little obscure here, but a song that Tom Karamitis and I are both very fond of called Mother by a singer named Glenn Danzig and uh, and there's a uh, a line in the chorus uh, that says uh, Mother Tell your children not to walk my way Tell your children not to hear my words What they mean, what they say Mother What is the difference between my words what they mean, what they say Is there a difference between what they mean and what they say That would seem to be the same thing uh, and then perhaps, and I'll wrap this up with perhaps the laziest music lyric of all time is uh, the Steve Miller song "Abracadabra." Abracadabra. 
So the chorus goes, abracadabra, I'm going to reach out and grab ya, abracadabra, abracadabra. So in the fourth line, he could have tried something else that rhymed with cadabra, but he just chose to say abracadabra again. Those are lazy songwriting lyrics, my friend. Let me know your thoughts. <laughs> Gary Doyle, always always his own best audience. Um, <clears throat> this is a good topic, but I feel like I'm at a bit of a disadvantage. Um, I know out of our thousands and thousands of subscribers, um, many of them are under the age of 30. Um, so they will, as Gary pointed out, probably never have heard of some of these artists. Uh, but I will give you two examples of things that always struck me as either, you know, yeah, under the, the heading of, of lazy lyric writing. One of my all-time favorite songs was a Roberta Flack song called Killing Me Softly. In fact, this was the, when the Grammy Award for Song of the Year and whenever it was written and uh, recorded in the early 70s. It's a great song. I suggest you listen to it. It's basically, it's, it's about, it's written from the, the perspective of somebody who is watching Don McLean perform. And uh, it's a great song, and, and, and the verses are just beautifully crafted, but they got to the last verse, and it's like the writer just ran out of things to say and, and kind, of, uh, kind of ended up just compromising by saying... And he just kept on singing, singing clear and strong. As all the other verses were kind of building on this beautiful story, and then this was just, to me it was just kind of a throwaway. Um, so if, uh, if Tom Karamaitis ever starts listening to music that was recorded after 1978, I'll be sure to come back and revisit this, uh, this topic uh, in, in a new feature you'll hear about later called uh, So There Redux. Uh, let me know your thoughts. Well, I think we've lost pretty much all the listeners <laughs> that we had under 30 uh, with that selection of music. Um, we're working on setting up a, a hotline where viewers and listeners can call in and, and leave their own comments on our podcast, but that's not uh, operable yet. That's in beta. Uh, but if we did that, then perhaps our younger listeners should, could submit uh, something, as Tom Carmida said, that was written after 1972. All right, before I move on to the next topic, uh, I would like to point out Gary Doyle and I have both uh, occasionally used the word viewers when we refer to people listening to the podcast. And at first I thought, yeah, that's obviously a mistake. This is just an audio thing. However, our, hip, our oddly hypnotic logo, all right, perhaps can be something that you, the listener, just stares at, all right, staring at it for the entire 22 minutes, imagining, you know, is that guy, Mr. Shout or whatever we call him, is that Gary or Tom, all right? Right now it's Tom, so close your eyes or stare at Mr. Shout as I take you through our next topic, which is, um, I think this, 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 this is thought-provoking for, for all of you folks out there who have ever worked in an office, I want to quickly trace for you the, the, the progression of office relationships. And I don't mean romantic office relationships, I mean the building, the building of friendships. And, and there, are, there are three stages of these, these relationships, and there are specific things that happen at each stage which define them. And those three stages are work acquaintance, right? work friend, and finally 
friend. And I'm going to kind of lay this out for you. A work acquaintance is somebody that you say hi to in the hall. You pass and you say hi. You give a knowing nod, a smile, a wink. You greet them in a meeting. You know them. You know their name. All right. They are, they are a work acquaintance. All right. Um, you may reach a point with work acquaintances where you find you have little sidebar conversations with them. All right. Maybe you even confide in this person. All right. At that point, once you start confiding in this person, all right, uh, they have become a work friend. This is a really, this is a, an, an important subset of your work relationships. Work friends are the people that you worry about, right? When bad things happen at work, um, you, you, you ask them about their, their lives. They are, they are work friends, but they will remain work friends probably forever unless you take the giant step. And I, I do mean a giant step of doing something social with them that has nothing to do with work, okay? That means you're going to play golf, you're going to go out to dinner, you're going to go to a game together, and it's not part of some work function or somebody getting a bunch of people together for an after-work party. That's not friends. That's still work, that's still work friends. But friends means you've, you've crossed the Rubicon, all right? Gary Doyle and I went through all those stages, and at the moment, we consider ourselves friends. All right, because we've done social, non-career, non-work-related activities together. An important distinction, I, I think you all should think about your relationships at the office and spend half the day today putting people down in one of those three categories. Let me know your thoughts. I'm struggling to come to grips with this topic because nobody at work really likes me. <coughs> um, I don't have any friends. Uh, my... my 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 uh, my ladder up the friendship uh, ladder that Tom Carmichael described is a little different. A, a, a work friend, or well, a work acquaintance, agree is somebody that you say hi to, maybe in passing, uh, in, in the office, and uh, and so forth, and maybe talk to them at a party. A, a work friend is somebody that you you spend more quality time with, and might spend you know ten or fifteen minutes talking to about you know work and your clients and. Uh, you know, uh, and you enjoy their company, um, uh, but but it doesn't get to the level of as Tom Karamidas described. Uh, uh, it doesn't get to a deeper uh, level than that. Uh, a, a work friend, but it, but a, but a friend uh, is everything that Tom Karamidas described, um, and 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 is possible to get there. Uh, as I said, I you know I'm struggling to come to grips with this a little bit because very few people at work like me. Um, uh, but, but yes, I think, uh, I think Tom Karamidas has, has, uh, has made a good point here. And, and, and Tom Karamidas' friendship in mind has, uh, has transcended those stages, has gone through those stages. We used to argue about, um, you know, music and, and Fruitopia commercials and, and Tom would bring in a track by Keith Emerson of, uh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer. You know, I didn't like it. Uh, you know, that caused a problem. This is a true story, by the way. Um, and so we had our work issues and now I think we're, we're friends, uh, making this podcast and, uh, yeah. So there. <laughs> I would like to, as a, as a postscript on this one, I'd like to point out also that you can also go backwards. I don't think you can go all the way back to work acquaintance, although I guess you could theoretically, but I've had, 
I've had times in my life and career where I did something social with somebody from work, and it just it was a it was a it was a one off. It just didn't click. It didn't happen. So then we kind of both sadly, with heads down, realized that we've redefined and gone back to work friends, and that was okay. That was okay. So there. And now we're going to uh, introduce a returning segment to So There, uh, and a new one as well. Let's talk about the new one first. These are things that we hope to return to every week, and we're calling this So There Redux. And this is going to be uh, addendums uh, to things that we talked about in past uh, podcasts, kind of further developments, uh, further instances that broaden our, our, uh, our understanding of this issue. And this will be also, you'll find, now hang on to your seats, the format's going to change a little bit because Gary and I will actually potentially actually respond to each other like a conversation in this one. We're not used to that because we our, our method of communication is leaving voicemails for each other, so this is making us a little uncomfortable. Yeah, and to that point, if we actually make eye contact with each other, it throws us off completely. We completely lose our train of thought. We're both looking at the snowball right now, which is a reminder is our microphone that we use in the studio, the snowball. Yes. I've also freshened my breath this morning before Gary came in. I've not. A couple podcasts ago, we talked about what Tom Kermitis introduced as the sachet maneuver, and that's the maneuver where uh, when you're leaving the train doors, um, as you exit the train door, somebody kind of slides through the heavy doors without kind of holding it open for you, which we both found loathsome and talked about it in great detail. But the other day... I was walking through the heavy doors exiting the train station, and a woman in front of me pulled off the sachet maneuver with not one, but two doors. So both doors closed on her accordion style, and she managed to sachet through both of them, letting them both, uh, you know, uh, land on me. And I found this noteworthy for a couple of reasons. One is that it was an extraordinary kind of application of the sachet maneuver, but the other was it struck me that this this behavior still happened after we talked about it on our podcast. I think Tom Karamidas and I both thought it had entered the popular uh, culture, the popular vernacular to not attempt the sachet maneuver, and yet somebody did it, which I found uh, really surprising. Yeah, and yeah, to that point, um, uh, you know, we have, a, I imagine, a, a tremendous listenership. I think we're up to six and a half million subscribers. Um, and now, by the way, now that we're on episode three, which this is, I think we can start talking box set. <laughs> All right. Now, my uh, With, without without takes <laughs> and uh, yeah. bloopers and extra lots of extra content. <laughs> and uh, right, Gary exactly. wants to Gary wants to take this podcast to Facebook Live at some point. So hold on to your hats. That's that's down the road at some point. Right, um, we're, we're throwing a lot at you right now. So I will. Uh, the, what I will add to uh, to. To Redux is uh, we had a discussion last time about health club uh, observations and health club irritants. Last night, I actually encountered a new one, which was an entirely new phenomenon. Maybe Gary Doyle wants to weigh in on this. And that is the dynamic that happens, spe- you know, it's especially with younger people, with, with people in their late teens, early 20s, when a guy and his obvious girlfriend are working out together. That whole testosterone issue that guys have in general at health clubs gets ramped up exponentially when they're working out in the in the presence of their girlfriend 
all right? It's, it's obnoxious. There, there, there's a lot of primping and posing. And I would just love to see an example where a guy is showing his girlfriend how to use a piece of equipment, and then she's able to actually lift a lot more weight on it than he is, because right? I just think that would just tear it all apart. Yeah, yeah, men men do things in the presence of women to, to pr- prove their manhood. I once got my nose broken in a fight in college by a man who uh, who uh, was with his girlfriend, and I made the mistake of challenging him. And I still have a little bit of a bent nose, if you look closely well, well, at my we, nose. We, we need to do Facebook Live. Yeah, well, you're getting, Tom Carabias <laughs> is looking at me a little bit too closely now. It's making me uncomfortable. I wonder why. I wonder why. So this is uh, another recurring segment called I Wonder Why. And this is, uh, this is our questions as to why human beings do uh, the things that they do. I wonder why police crossing guards are always in a foul mood. They're usually overweight, but more importantly, they're almost always in a really bad mood. I imagine it's because that they're, they're that week bottom of the totem pole. This is the assignment nobody wanted. Although I think in a lot of ways, crossing guard duty is not that bad. You know, I mean, you're out from behind the desk, you're outside if it's a nice day, but they always seem to be, God forbid you misinterpret their their little hand direction when you're coming out of the parking lot. They just bark at you and they, it's, it's, they're always in a foul mood. I, I'm terrified of them. I wonder why professional athletes never wear their jersey in airports or anywhere else. So you see people in airports, men in airports wearing uh, jerseys, football jerseys, but you never see athletes wearing them, and that's their uniform. You know, that's what they wear to work, and I'm surprised that when they're traveling or, you know, in their leisure time, they don't wear jerseys because that's that's what they wear in their job. So I, I, I wonder why that is. I wonder why people still have the need to say, God bless you when you sneeze. Now, when I was a kid, the urban legend with God bless you was that, and, and all, all the seven-year-olds I was with all believed it, including myself, that it's the closest you ever come to death in a normal day. It's when you sneeze, supposedly. So that's why people say, God bless you. But at this point, there's no other thing that you do that would elicit that kind of response. And I think God bless you should be retired. Should people say god bless you would you pass wind <laughs> i can i can well sh- that's a different thing cuz no one really ever people rarely acknowledge the passing wind that's, right even though everybody knows who did it in an <laughs> elevator you know <laughs> that is true that could be a topic of a whole other podcast um, you know actually that what i heard about god bless you was it was used to be believed that when a person sneezed that was a portal for evil spirits to enter their body when they would sneeze. That's, it was believed that it would be an opening for evil spirits into their bodies. So when people sneeze, somebody would say, God bless you to ward off those evil spirits. I'll give you another hypothesis, which could be related to that, is that you know perhaps God bless you came up in the days of medieval medicine and a sneeze would portend an infection, which in those days perhaps could be fatal, right? Um, in those, those are the days of bloodletting and all that kind of stuff. So, but I still say, you know, 500 years later, maybe it's, it's, it's time to retire, God bless you. So I'll be the first rude person that stares at you if you sneeze in my presence, just gives you a withering look, and I, I won't say anything. Thus wraps another episode of, of So There. Uh, we'd like to thank our engineer, John Bender, our artist, uh, Jim Furr, 
our our studio engineer uh, Marco Morales, and you, the listener, all for six and a half million of you, all six and a half million of you for for listening and more than that, enduring. So until next time, so, so there. there.